0: Please remember, you have within you the same moral and supernatural power that brought Christ back from the dead. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Over the last few Sundays, we have been looking at a new series of studies on the Holy Spirit. And today we come to Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, can you turn to Romans chapter 8, and you'll find it on page 1756 of the Church Bible page 1756 Romans chapter 8 and we're reading verses 5 to 17 so Romans 8 beginning at verse 5 those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires the mind of sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of your sin, yet your Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory." And if you jump on forward to verse 26, about halfway through the chapter, We round our reading off today with these words. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. A couple of weeks ago, I watched a wildlife documentary called Wild China. And there's about five or six episodes on the DVD I was watching, and I got caught up in one particular episode as towards the end of the program, they featured a bird sanctuary in rural China. And the thing I was fascinated about was this, that owls, hawks, and in one case an eagle was in the bird sanctuary. One of them had broken a wing. I think it was the eagle had a bad wound here that was infected, and of course it was struggling. And interestingly, the camera followed them from the moment they arrived right through to the moment they were released back into the wild. And when they first arrived, the staff would make to go for the bird to examine it, and the bird, some of them, would hiss. Others would put their claws out, some would call, but they were protesting robustly that anyone was near them, and they had no idea that the staff were there to help them. And I thought that was an interesting comment, that they were pushing back against the very person who wanted to help them. One of the other images that stuck in my mind was that some of the birds had laying eggs, and watching the young eggs hatch was spectacular. And you would see them in a feeding area where owls and eagles and hawks were going around pecking food from the ground like barnyard chickens. And I thought, these are birds of prey. They're meant to soar and high in the sky, and they're supposed to glide in the wind. And here they are, acting like chickens. And as the story developed, of course, you became very attached to the birds. You listened to the commentary. And it all finished with the staff taking them about 20 miles from the sanctuary, high up on the side of one of the mountains, taking off what looked like a stocking cap. And the bird would stick its head up shake its head. They would then put the bird on a rock. The bird would stretch for a minute or two. Then its head would go down, chest would come out, and it would fly. And wow, what a sight it was. And I remember distinctly holding my breath while all of this happened. Are they going to make it? And sure enough, the camera followed them as they glided in the warm air currents that were there. And it was spectacular to see. And the narrator said something along the lines, I can't remember the exact wording, but in essence he said this, they were now doing what they were designed for. And in Romans chapter 8, when we come to look at the Holy Spirit in the life of His children, Romans 8 in spectacular fashion lays out for us what God has designed us for. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you will know our first Sunday together, we looked at Pentecost, that extraordinary historic day when for the first time in all of history, the Spirit of God Himself comes upon individual men and women and dwells within their heart for the first time in all of history. In the Old Testament, you will find the Holy Spirit anointing kings or leaders of ancient Israel for a particular season or a task that lay before them. But at Pentecost, all of that changed when the Spirit of God came to live within the life of the individual Christian. And Paul, in recognizing exactly what happened there, In chapter 7 and elsewhere in chapter 8, he reminds us of this, and we've seen this already, but it's worth highlighting again this morning, that the Spirit of God is not interested in a dry, sterile, academic life. In fact, it's the very opposite. He is interested in leading and guiding and directing in the everyday messiness and challenge that comes our way. And please hear this, and you're going to hear me say it over the next few Sundays, and I've said it in the past, but you have to get this principle, or excuse me, one of the cardinal principles of biblical faith, and it's this, that the same moral and supernatural power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I through the power of His indwelling Spirit. And that's what Paul has been saying in Romans chapter 7 and the first few verses of Romans chapter 8, and we come in halfway through chapter 8 at verse 5, and he writes this, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. And then Romans, excuse me, then the other half of the verse shows you the contrary side. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I think most of us have walked a Christian road long enough to understand this. At each moment of every day, there is within the life of the Christian a conflict going on. And it happens for this reason. When an individual comes to Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within them, they are changed forever. They come under new management. And Paul talks about the old man or the old woman. The way we once used to be is no longer true because we are a new creation in Christ. But there is a conflict going on within us because not only are we now a new person in Christ, but those old habits and sinful ways take a long time to die, and they are constantly enticing, constantly attracting, constantly deceiving, constantly pulling us back to the old lifestyle. And that's why Paul says those who give in and live according to that sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. And Paul says, that's the person you once were. You don't have to go back there. I fully realize Paul is saying that sin is enticing, and it's attractive, and it brings deception with it, and it tells you actually it's not that bad, and that everyone's doing it, and it's no big deal, and you really ought to, if he's ever going to be your neighbor, you have to sort him and tell him what is right. The mind is set on the old sinful nature that is so attractive, so deceptive, so enticing. And the Apostle Paul says, please be careful. If you are ever to nourish your relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you are ever to go deeper in your faith, if you are ever to be sensitive to who He is and the life He has called you to, you cannot have your mind set on the sinful nature. And the passage changes, or the verse changes rather at this pivotal point in verse 5. He says, but, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So how do you move from the pull and the intensity and the feelings and the passions of the old nature to then move in a Godward direction? And it begins this way. Father, all my Christian life, or let me rephrase that. That is an exaggeration. There are moments in my Christian walk with You that I am drawn back to that old nature, that it is enticing, that it is appealing. And, Father, when I try to resist in my own strength, it always, always, always ends up a disaster. Father, I need your strength. I need your enabling. I need the sustaining of your grace. I need you at the very center of my life. Allow me, please, to have my mind set on what the Spirit desires, not the old sinful nature. That's what Paul is saying, and he's saying if you are ever to nourish and nurture and cultivate a walk with the Spirit of God, it begins right there by resisting and please remember, you have within you the same moral and supernatural power that brought Christ back from the dead. And it's almost as if Paul is saying to the Christians in Rome, Why are you messing with that stuff? Leave it alone turn away, move on, become the men and women that God designed you to be. Two, as we hear from Isaiah 40, soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not fall down. That's what's going on here. And then Paul takes it deeper into verses 6 and 7 and 8. And then at verse 9, he says wonderfully, you, however, you who belong to Christ, who have had your lives transformed, who have intimacy with God, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And how does that begin? begins each day almost before we get out of bed by quietly, privately entering into the presence of God and saying, Father, this day, today, allow me please to live not by my own strength, but by your strength you lead me, you guide me, you protect me, you get alongside me, support me, lift me up, and enable me, please, to be sensitive to all of your call in my life and to stay away from the man or woman I used to be. As we jump forward to verse 12, he takes it to that third level, and notice what he says. He says, "'Therefore, brothers, you have an obligation.'" You have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Do you see that? You will die. You will shrivel up. You will become a shadow of your former self. And when you give in to that side of things, it begins with inner turmoil, then argumentation and anguish and fears and insecurity and starting to lash out at your husband, your wife, people at work, those you once loved, and you're getting further and further and further away from the things of God but you have an obligation to stay away from it, not in your own strength, but by the power that He brings and He gives. Focus on Him. Have your mind set not on the old sinful nature, but on the Holy Spirit at work in you. That's what he's saying right here. And notice what else he says. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let me pause for a second and say this. Most of us at one point or another have been to a graduation ceremony, and it is particularly thrilling for parents and grandparents, because in the midst of everyone who's in that auditorium, all the pomp and circumstance, all of the parents and grandparents, all of the music and the staff, and everyone's gathered for this spectacular moment of great celebration and anticipation. And children and grandchildren have worked hard and have performed well, and now it is graduation. And when you stand as the graduates come into the room. Parents and grandparents are all doing the same thing. All of the students are dressed the same in academic gowns. They will have on graduation hats, the mortarboard, and they will come in, and as they move forward, this mass of humanity all moves forward together at the one time, and as you look around the auditorium, what do you hear from parents and grandparents? (gasps) I see them yes, there they are. No, 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 not him. The one in front, yeah, got him. Oh, yeah, I see him now. There can be hundreds of people dressed identically, but you can spot them, and it happens just like that. And you can spot them for this reason. You recognize their walk. You have loved them for years you have fed and nourished them as children in your arms. They have sat on your lap when you have read them stories. You've wrestled with them on the carpet and tickled them and played with them, and you love them and know how they walk. And when our heavenly Father looks at us, He is looking for the family resemblance. He's looking to see Does their walk equal their talk? Do they speak of Me in the way they engage? Do they reflect My Spirit in their life? Are they resisting and staying away from that old sinful nature that entices and exhorts and encourages and deceives? And are they resisting it and saying, Father, I can't do this on my own. I need Your power. Please help me. And that's when the Holy Spirit goes to work. And He will come alongside and strengthen and encourage and enable and sustain. When you step in His direction, He's going to start pulling you forward. And please hear this. The old sinful nature leaves us utterly miserable because we know how it should be and we know how we should be walking. Now, folks, please hear this, just in case you come away with the wrong impression. The teaching of Romans chapter 8 does not teach that we will never face a challenge or a difficulty. It doesn't tell us that there won't be moments when we have our back up against the wall, and we are struggling, and we do not know what to do, and we do not know where to go, and we do not know how to respond. But what Romans 8 teaches us is this, you don't do it in your own strength. You bring it to Him. You are submissive, to Him. You surrender your life to Him, and you start walking in the power that He gives you, and walk in His direction, and focus your mind not on the sinful nature, but on the Spirit of God. That's what it teaches. And finally, please notice the passage we read just towards the end, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and that's a reference to God the Father, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will." And please understand, when your heart is breaking and you are so hurt and so wounded, you end up like an eagle in the bird sanctuary, refusing and pushing against the very one who has come to help, the very one who's going to take away the infection, the very one who's going to bring wholeness and renewal and the Holy Spirit groans for you when you are there. He intercedes with groans that words cannot express. It's almost as if He is saying, oh, Father, intervene for them, help them, strengthen them. Oh, God, please! That's the groaning of the Holy Spirit. You're not abandoned, not on your own, but in fact, He is there with you. Allow me to close with an illustration. I deliberately skipped over it earlier, but please notice as we go back a little in the passage, verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Some years ago, a young couple came to see me, and I knew why they were coming. Well, I guessed. They were in their early 30s, and I had noticed a particular change in her, and they wanted to get married. The groom, I didn't know that well, and they came in, and she introduced them to me. We sat down, and I asked them the same question that I ask each couple. I say, well, tell me a little about yourself. Where did you go to college? Where did you meet? Where do you live? What do you do for a living? And then inevitably, after 20 minutes or so, I will say to them, why do you want to get married? And there will be a variety of answers. And those answers are sometimes, he is my best friend. Sometimes, she fulfills me. We have lots of things in common. And then when I don't get the right answer, I insist and I say to them this, do you love each other? They say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, but you didn't say that. And for this couple conversation was about halfway through, and I did say, why do you want to get married? And they did give the right answer, said, we love each other. And he said, I can't imagine another day without her. I looked over in her direction, and there was tears, not just filling up, but tears running down her face. No great big sob, but just tears, just running down, running down. And she kind of looked nervously at her hands and put her head down. And I said to her, what's wrong? And he said, she gets like this sometimes. I said, what's wrong? And after another conversation, out it came. When she was 12 or 13 years old, her father had abandoned herself and her brother and her mother, and he left. And she said, now I have fallen in love with the most marvelous man I've ever known, and i'm scared that he's going to leave me and paul is saying right here he does not return you to a spirit of fear but to sonship and for the next 20 minutes to this new bride the groom and i sought to reassure her that what had happened in the past was in the past that the door was now shut it was bolted. The key had been turned and thrown away, and she was now loved. This morning is Commitment Sunday, and I wonder if privately, quietly, in your heart this morning, you need to say, Holy Spirit of the living God, from this Sunday on, this twelfth day of October, I commit myself to you afresh. I am no longer going to live with my mind controlled by the sinful nature. I'm not going to give in to the deception and enticement and all the attraction of sin, but I am turning away. And from this day on, I need Your strength. Encourage me, strengthen me, enable me to walk with You. Let others see in me the family resemblance. That's how you nourish and nurture and cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's a day-by-day committed process of being sensitive to Him, longing passionately to know Him deeper, and then standing back and becoming ever more dependent on His strength rather than our own. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this remarkable passage from Romans chapter 8. Father, may each one of us this morning leave here, bathed afresh in the immensity of your love, refreshed and renewed by the concentrated brilliance of your glory. Allow us, please, to grapple and grasp what it means to nourish a relationship with you and expose us, please, this week to the majesty and grace and grandeur and splendor of your Holy Spirit. Father, hear our prayers, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Due to program changes on Fox, First and Foremost will be airing early on Sunday, October 26th. Join us at 7.30 a.m. as we continue to study the Holy Spirit. We will return to our regular schedule the following week.